Welcome, apartment investors. You're listening to Reap Equity's podcast show, Passive Wealth Through Multifamily Investing. Reap Equity owns and manages 1,800 units and brings a unique behind-the-scenes look at apartment investing. During this program, you will hear from REAP principals and real-life successful multifamily professionals who will provide proven advice on why apartment investing is the best investment vehicle to produce passive monthly income. So my name is Chris Martinez. I am one of three partners, REAP Equity. Today I have our guest, Eric Koa with Wells Fargo uh, Multifamily Capital division. Welcome, Eric. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, Eric is based out of Dallas, the DFW area, and he is in the REAP Equity headquarters here in San Antonio. Before we jump into the questions, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you and your story? Sure. I joined a um, local commercial real estate brokerage firm in San Diego. I'm originally from Southern California, uh, right out of grad school, and we did all commercial asset lending there, retail, industrial, multifamily, office, what have you. I went from there to Freddie Mac multifamily uh, investing. And my role at Freddie was an originator and underwriter. So uh, if you were a borrower, you would go through one of the um, Freddie Mac designated seller servicers. They would probably bring the deal to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My relationship with that seller servicer, I'd quote the deal, I'd underwrite the deal, and then we would close the loan. I went from Freddie Mac and joined Wells Fargo Multifamily Capital, and I've been with Wells Fargo. Actually, my anniversary was last week, oh, 13 years. Congratulations, 13 Thank years. You. Yeah. How 13. many of those years in DFW area? Three now. Okay. I moved here in 2015 in the DFW area to join a cohort out of the Dallas office, and uh, the two of us have been um, handling and originating multifamily deals uh, throughout all of Texas, but from nationwide, wherever our clients are. So pretty much uh, the focus, our, our focus within our group at Multifamily Capital is uh, conventional multifamily. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of affordable housing. And when I say affordable, I'm talking about Section 8 properties, tax credit properties, things of that nature. And then we also do a lot of manufactured housing communities, um, primarily because I was from California. And that's, that asset type is very popular from California through Arizona, right. Florida, that's pretty much my background. And Great. So we'll get into some of what Wells Fargo offers as far as the debt side and the agency specific questions in a little bit, but what brings you to San Antonio today? Well, I've taken, a, you've taken you up on your offer to come down and visit. Um, really wanted to see, meet you and your office, um, tour the market, tour some of your properties, kind of see what if there are asset types that would fit our Wells Fargo's lending criteria mm-hmm. and then get more feedback from you since you're uh, experienced in this market as to what's going on in certain sub-markets and how you see the market going overall down right. here in San Antonio. So um, Eric and I have, and along with Jacob and Arlene, we've probably been speaking with you about doing some business together for, what, six months to a year maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So we always kind of discuss obviously it's important to have your strategic partners in place your lenders your attorneys um, and so we always kind of want to make sure that our strategic partners are the right fit for us so we kind of intentionally go slow on on the people that we do business with 
Um, is that something that you're familiar with? Oh, I, I, I totally agree. And I think as a prudent investor and, and uh, business person that you should take that approach. Another investor that uh, we both know in mm-hmm. common, that mm-hmm. we have in common, um, I was introduced to them. But it took about another six to eight months before we actually transacted a, right. a, a, a deal. And that comes from the process of that was really a personal meeting, comfort level, a um, not so much tell you what you want to hear, but just tell you how we operate and what how things uh, exactly and what you can expect and the transparency of it. Right. And then after that, then it's really up to you as the individual to decide if that's a good fit. Right. I always say the proof is in the pudding, so you don't want to ever do. You only get one shot, one bite at the apple, and if you do a transaction and it's and it's not how both parties envisioned it, you're probably never going to do another transaction. Well said, because as as buyers, obviously we've put up obviously financial resources to tie the deal up. Uh, obviously, the underwriting we we would engage the lender well in advance of the contract to see what kind of terms that we can get. And then when we do get under contract, it's go time, right? I mean, any type of any type of inconsistencies from that point on as far as lending, for example, maybe your underwriting misunderwrote the taxes, right? And now it's a mistake. So that those types of things are confidence boosters for us as we get to know Wells Fargo and yourself in in doing business, right? It's the the feel good part of it. It is. I, I agree. It's um, you want to know really what you have going into the deal that's, you know, I call it the bullets in the holster. It's what, what, what you can deliver. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's my job to tell you what I can deliver. Right. Um, so that way there aren't any surprises. Right. Um, it's one thing I always say, it's one thing if, you know, you have an open checkbook and regardless of the outcome, you can cover that. That's, you don't really want that scenario, but you know that does happen. If, uh, but it's another thing when you have investors and you're looking to buy a property and you know exactly what, what where your thresholds are. You know, you need a partner to be able to say, "Yeah, I can meet those thresholds." Absolutely. So, uh, Jacob and Arlene, Arlene and I are obviously really happy to have you in San Antonio. This is a this is a big step for us to you know doing business with Wells Fargo, in which we fully intend to do. Uh, obviously, Wells Fargo has has been around a little bit, not not too long. <laughs> the new Wells Fargo. The new Wells Fargo is <laughs> only six months old. <laughs> so let me ask you, what what sets Wells Fargo, your capital market team, uh, apart from the competitors? And if there is uh, a bread and butter type property that you guys really like to loan on, uh, what is that niche? Sure, um, I think from. Wells Fargo, as most people will know, is probably one of the largest banks in the country. In our multifamily capital group, what we are a full-service shop. So Wells Fargo is one of the few lenders that is um, licensed to execute Fannie, Fannie Mae transactions, Freddie Mac transactions, FHA transactions, affordable housing, seniors, Alzheimer care, assisted living, uh, student housing, military housing. So any multifamily asset type available. Uh, Wells is uh, not only delegated, but licensed to uh, lend on those product types. Not all lenders have that capability. The other thing is, besides the agencies, which we refer to as Fannie, Freddie, and FHA, mm-hmm. you know, because we are the bank, we have a balance sheet, 
we have a bridge program. And so that kind of helps us work with a borrower to help place a deal that may be in transition or that may be a short-term uh, hold or, uh, or repositioning so that way it can be uh, executed down the road right. via one or the other. So what I'm hearing sources. you say is that uh, in getting to know your clients, you know what type of investment play they are looking for. In turn, you will match that with with some type of debt product. Correct. It's always uh, it's getting to know what your goal for this particular transaction is. Perfect. So you mentioned a mix of agency and bridge. Is there a certain type of combination that you that Wells does between agency and bridge? Does do you do more of agency? Sure. Um, so let me just use 2017 as an example. Okay. Year in total production. Uh, Wells, we did almost $13 billion in wow. the multifamily capital market, uh, of which 42% was Fannie, 33% was Freddie. Mm-hmm. Um, then FHA, we did a good amount of business with, uh, about 12%. And then on the balance sheet, you know, we only do about 2.5% on a balance sheet. So when you say balance bridge, sheet, we're talking bridge. bridge. Okay. Um, but then we do it about another two and a half percent, what we call a direct bond purchase. Okay. That's under our bond because we are a tax credit. Not only are we a tax credit investor, but we're also a tax credit buyer. Right. Um, we do participate in a lot of um, affordable tax credit deals, and so we funnel that through our program as well. Okay. Is the bridge product an in-house product, or are you guys acting as a broker at that point? No, it's all in-house. Okay. Um, now, I will say part of the relationship is that uh, the bridge product is is was originally set up to facilitate really short-term deals for n- known bank borrowers. Okay. It's kind of, it's blossomed right. since then, um, but I will say that not every deal is an automatic fit in that bucket. Right. It's, it's a really a trans case by case basis. Yes. Um, and, and that's where I'll leave it. It's, it's the, the traditional 75% of value, uh, LIBOR based pricing, mm-hmm. IO mm-hmm. short term, IE 12 months, 18 months with extensions. Okay. That's the program. Well, I will say our, our experience, uh, here at Reap Equity on, Working with Wells Fargo, that we uh, Wells Fargo did entertain financing us on the last two acquisitions on their bridge product. So, from what we understand, is you guys relied heavily on our relationship with Wells Fargo on the banking side. And two individuals came down from Dallas. They spoke to our banker here in San Antonio. They went and toured the properties, and very thorough, very thorough. Right. So maybe that represents a little bit of the two and a half percent, percent right? right? Going into 2018, do you guys see this mix uh, staying true? It, 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 it does stay true. For example, like year to date, as of June, mid-year, you know, we've done $6.2 billion. Mm-hmm. So if you just double that, we're back up to 12.4, almost 13. Mm-hmm. And the percentages do break out pretty much the same. Only this year, we're probably a little bit more focused on Fannie instead of Freddie. So it could be like uh, 40, it was 42% last year. It's probably 45 to 50% this year. Right. Um, Fannie, you know, the, I will say that multifamily capital, the core path is usually Fannie and Freddie first. And right. Then all the other options second. Okay. So curious in an interest rate 
we're in a rising interest rate environment where now we're seeing uh, rates going up and debt service coverage is constrained. Mm -hmm. How does that uh, put pressure on that mix of the 2.5% bridge versus the majority agency in FHA? Well, for our bridge, it's always what is the takeout and what is the exit. And so even in a rising interest rate environment, you're talking if it's LIBOR-based, now LIBOR is running 2%. Mm -hmm. So you're almost at a point where it's comparable to a, say, seven-year fixed-rate right. transaction. I think that the demand will still be there for that product type. I just think that um, you know it all comes down to how buyers and sellers come mm. to an agreement on where the value of the property is and the, based on the performance of right. the property. And also, is there a transition that's going to be done at the property? Um, you know, prior to that, it was always value add or, you know, unit improvements. But that's when we're talking about a, a bridge like that, you're talking about major renovations and, and getting rents up. Um, so I think there's still demand for that. It's just probably not as two and a half percent, sure. 2.4 or 2.3 right? or something like that. <laughs> So of your uh, $13 billion done in 2017, and you guys are on on pace to uh, reach that again in 2018, how much of that is coming out of Texas? Uh, last year we did a billion in okay. Texas, a little bit over a billion. About 10%. About 10%, okay. yeah. And, um, and the primary asset types that we really like are obviously conventional. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll do Class A. Everybody, but you know, Class A is in depending on the market has had its problems because with you can't with rising rents and sure. construction costs. Right now, are really we're really competitive in the I call it the workforce Class C transitioning to Class B, B. type properties. Right, um, borrowers that own and operate in that field, that little niche market, they know what they're doing. Right. They know the submarket. They know what the rents are. They know how to take it from one level to the next. Right. Um, so we're comfortable with that. I think we, and so it's conventional. We do um, manufactured housing, like mm-hmm. I said. We've done a lot of it in Texas. And um, and I think, you know, uh, affordable. Right. Section 8 so it's a, type properties. It's a probably late 70s, early 80s type um, asset where nothing real special as far as the interiors. You have your vinyl. You have your uh, resurfaced countertops and you're basically going in there, maybe improving some of the hardware items. Maybe you're you're adding the new flooring. Maybe you are testing some granite, sure. but you're keeping rents at an affordable uh, place where the majority of people can probably rent there. Right. I, I mean, affordable, you know, workforce housing. At least the the tenants they do want some a little bit of a modern touch yeah. to those older units, uh, but they don't necessarily want to pay Class A. No prices and i think there's always going to be a demand for that because uh, so if you if you're that plays well when you're an owner operator that's a long-term holder because you'll see your returns over the over the life of the property the loan i I think um that doesn't bode well if you're trying to do a really Mm short-term transaction and turn flip for lack of a better word right so in our in our uh, assets we are we've identified that and we know that our type of renter looks for the value without the premium dollars. So we're doing things like the USB plugs in the bedroom. 
where nice. they can charge their, their iPhone, right? Right. Um, we're taking these 80s assets that where they would use they, the space, for example, the leasing center space was good uh, then, but now transactions are moving pretty quickly, right? Right. And so we're using old space and turning it into co-working spaces where where someone can go in if they're telecommuting or, or they're working from home and they don't want to work at home, they can go into the office, rent a room out. Right. And those improvements for us are, are invaluable because they don't cost a lot to do and it provides a lot of value to, to the to the resident. No, it's it's smart. I think you're keeping your finger on the pulse of your tenants' exactly. needs uh, really helps in the long run. Um, and we had a conversation with uh, one of the major REIT um, operators once, and they said it's not a clubhouse or a gym that really attracts a tenant. It's what's impacting their lifestyle. So, for example, dog owners, mm-hmm. they'd rather have a dog park than a gym. Sure. So they can just walk their dog close by the apartment instead of on the concrete or what have you. When they started identifying what really what are the trigger points for their tenants and made those adjustments, next thing you know, apartments are full. They're getting the rents they want because that's the value and that's the return that the tenants were looking for right. and met their needs. Right. So you mentioned that that conversation you had with one of your clients as a REIT. I'm assuming that you have large clients, you have smaller clients, or, and maybe individual buyers. Right. How important to to you and the Wells Fargo team is it for the sponsorship experience and sophistication when you're underwriting or looking at? The, uh, the first thing is it's important to know your sponsor, mm-hmm. talk to them, find out where they are in, in the market. The other thing is it's important to know how they treat their properties because then you'll know whether that's a long-term uh, play. Okay. For the, and if they, um, because if they're dedicated to their properties, they're going to stay in with the U.S. the lender through, the, right. I call it the different cycles, the ups and downs. Now, with regards to just regular mortgage credit stuff, that's pretty much standard across the board. Right. Net worth, liquidity, things of that nature. Now, we have clients that um, through the last 08, 09 cycle, they had issues. It was beyond their control. So we've been able to work around that mm-hmm. and still work with them and keep them as clients. So uh, I think the biggest thing is communication in terms of the clients forthcoming with us. And so therefore, right. we're able to work around that right. and work with them. So our experience uh, here at REAP is that our lenders, their feedback is is that they really enjoy the the depth of knowledge that the three of us have that we bring to the to the table some have even asked if they can invest side by side with us which is which is kind of individually right but right. Uh, it is kind of funny so if wells fargo's listening i'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> confirmed <laughs> so but we the we 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 do get asked regularly um our outlook on the economic cycle uh where where is the top? Is there money being invested in in assets that are going to be overpriced? What are your thoughts on the cycle, quote unquote, the cycle? And does Wells provide you you any guidance or taking a position on? Good question. To use a baseball analogy, uh, I think most people in the industry would probably um, agree that we're in probably the sixth, seventh, eighth, or ninth innings of this current cycle. 
Uh, normally, it's, it runs in like 10-year cycles. So barring what happened in 08, 09, starts picking up again in 2010. The, the, um, the conjecture is that 2020 will be a correction. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wells, you know, we get our economic outlook uh, from our internal economists on an annual basis, quarterly as well, uh, quarterly and annually when we're all together in New York. I would say that knowing if you're overpaying for a property, for example, is like you had alluded to before, we're in a, a rising interest rate environment. Right. So the, de- the debt coverage ratio, 1.25, is going to really determine the amount of leverage that's available on that performance of that property. So if that translates to a 70% loan-to-purchase price instead of 80%, then there's that 10% that somehow you as the investor is seeing some sort of value in that property down the road Mm -hmm. as opposed to right now. You know, the the standard is usually about 75% loan-to-purchase price should equal 125. So if you're around there, then you're making a good transaction. If you're really stretching to go 125 and ends up being 65%, then what is your plan with that property to increase that, get that remaining 20%, 15% right. of equity back? So you said as long as you're around the 125. Well, so you can't go below 125. Okay, so that's why I'm a question. But if you're at 125 and say you're at 75 or 72 or 77%, it's it's a good deal. Right. Uh, if you're 80, 125, it's a smoking, it's smoking deal. deal. <laughs> yeah. So when Wells Fargo looks to underwrite new investments. Sure. Do they make any assumptions? Uh, and, and this question is primarily for, obviously, um, lead syndicators and individual buyers that are out in the market looking for for new investments. It's, it's always very helpful for us to know what type of assumptions lenders are making on taxes, insurance, payroll. Sure. If we're talking about a purchase, you here especially we're focusing on taxes the biggest thing is going to be taxes mm-hmm. uh, granted is non-disclosure state somehow the assessment district always gets their fingers on something or some way um, an appraiser will normally assess the property not at the purchase price with the assessment they'll give a, some slack but it's usually based on asset class so for example a c-class property they'll do 70 75 percent of the purchase price for their tax number could be so i always say it's like 70 75 80 right and that's one thing to keep in mind so you're not over uh, underestimating the impact of the taxes insurance depending on where it is houston post uh, harvey per unit insurance went up right so take that into account and then payroll usually I always give guidance on 100 to 200 unit properties. Obviously, there's a, there's a economies of scale if you're going larger properties, but anywhere between you know 1,100 to 1,200 per unit in total payroll right. is can be supportable in the market. And so those are really the factors that I that I would recommend that you focus on. Okay, that's helpful because obviously the brokers have their own set of assumptions, which tends to always look really good on paper it does they do <laughs> and they're always referring to what the last assessed value was and right. that's not what you're paying for the property so right. that that's going to hinder right. um the uh obviously the underwriting and and just in general we the, there's just standard underwriting guidelines that the agencies require us to do and then there's something outside the box as well so how since the introduction of the green program how has that fared so far is there any new developments that 
uh, we should be aware of as as buyers. Sure. Um, I think the green overall has worked. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say, if I had to be honest about it, that the pricing discount provided Mm -hmm. was really the impetus for borrowers to pursue that. Because I don't think in general buyers were looking at their properties going, how can I reduce or go green? Right. Um, Now, especially like if they already had a rubs program in place or something like that, it's like, okay, water in, water out. Somebody's paying me back for that. I'm not going to pay attention to that. What they're starting to find is that not only when you do green, you kind of do modernize the property, the units, and you are realizing a savings right. on that. You don't necessarily have to pass that on, but as the it improves your cash flow at the bottom line, and that's what you're looking for as, a, as an investor, the pricing helps. The right. pricing discount helps. What else is out there? I think you and I were talking earlier. I think Freddie Mac came out with a mezzanine lending program for their affordable workforce housing. They're just starting to roll that out. Uh, As a matter of fact, I'll be on a webinar next week, uh, training webinar about Mm -hmm. it. I think it's more to get buyers to really focus on the the market that you're already focused on, which is uh, value-add, class C to class B for that's affordable for everyday uh, working tenants. Okay. What is your outlook on that? Do you think that's going to be successful? Uh, I don't know because the you have to the preliminary program uh, is holding is requiring the property to hold a certain percent of units at a, at an affordable AMI level, and I don't know how realistic that is if you're in a market where rents start escalating and you want to take advantage of that right did it really help you for that additional 10 percent of equity in the beginning right um again that's another case-by-case basis where you have to ask what is your goal with this property short-term long-term right and And so ami you're just talking about the median income for, for that area correct okay well that's that's obviously something that's still developing so it is it'll be very interesting to see the lender's position on that. The more I learn, the more I will let you know. Sure. And are, are we going to be able to be on that webinar with you? No, it's, <laughs> it was invite only from Freddie to the lenders. So probably just down to our last, our last couple questions. Uh, we do get asked about cap rates. It seems to be very tough question to answer because there's so much that goes into to cap rates and do you do you get that question often? We get it quite a bit. <laughs> um, there's multiple factors in going to place a loan on a property. Cap rate, values being one of them, debt coverage constraint being right. another. You know, cap rates to me are you're going in cap rate. The question is, what is your going your exit cap rate? Right. So if you're willing to pay a little more for a property, obviously that is a a, a lower cap rate up front. But you have all this opportunity, and by the time you sell it, that thing, that property is now, what was say a five and a half is now six and a quarter right. uh, return. Then you had a good return. If it's just a five and a half in order, but there's no growth and there's nothing, will that property maintain a five and a half when you're looking to exit in a rising interest rate environment? Not the case. Probably right. not the case. Right. Um, I wouldn't – it alludes back to our previous uh, discussion on if you're buying property and you're within that 75%, 125 metric, chances are then that cap rate is 
where it should be. Right. Uh, if you're pushing it 60%, 65 at a 125, then obviously it's much lower. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the upside? Right. So as an investor, you have to ask yourself, what's the upside? Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of investors are used to the 75 uh, and 125 investment where we call that a yield play, right? I mean, it's, it's a stabilized asset. Essentially, we're taking the keys and we're continuing what the seller did and just maintaining it Correct. and giving you solid returns every year. Exactly. You also need to consider on the flip side, if you are purchasing an asset that's being mismanaged and it's at 80% occupied and you are getting a bridge type uh, loan product, not because you can't get fan, you can't get agency. It's just you're, you're maximizing it's proceeds. Not stabilized. Right. right. And so a lot of investors ask us, well, why is the cap rate so low? It's like, well, it's Correct. the investment. It's it the is. strategy. If it's, you're right. If it's high, if it has high vacancy, the rents are way below market. It's being mismanaged because it's a lack of a better word, a mom and pop investment, family owned pro- property. They're out of state. Right. They're not keeping their eyes on the property. Expenses, they're not controlling expenses. That could be, I've seen properties where you shouldn't have $2,000 in payroll on a 150-unit property. What's going on there? Yeah. So that's part of that repositioning. And it could be a very short-term uh, time frame to do that mm-hmm. within 6, 12, 18 months. And then you're back to a stabilized property where now that cap rate, that the initial cap rate you went in with, doesn't look that bad anymore right. because it's a great return. Right. And so we, in that situation, we'll always push the pro forma year one cap rate, which is more of a stabilized cap rate than, than the going in cap rate. So I kind of feel like ending at cap rates. That seems like a good place that to end. That is a good place because you open Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think this is a good place to end, Eric, on cap rates. Uh, otherwise, it is that Pandora's box. But if people do want to reach out to you and continue the conversation with cap rates, by all means, you can contact Eric at eric, E-R-I-C dot COA, K-H-O-A. Correct. At wellsfargo.com. Eric.coa at wellsfargo.com. Uh, he is based out of, out of DFW in, in Addison. So for our investors and uh, investor friends that probably would like to meet up with you for coffee or something, by all means, I think sure. that's that's kind of kind of, the time. kind of your thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, we appreciate you uh, definitely coming down to San Antonio and joining us uh, for our podcast. And thank you for having me. Absolutely I appreciate it.